0: Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Have you ever noticed that you see what you're looking for? You ever notice that? So, here, right, picture in your mind the color blue, you got it? The color blue. All right, now look around you and see where you see blue. Yes, yeah, everywhere, right? Yeah, okay. You know why? Because that's what you're looking for. You, you buy a new car and all of a sudden you see it everywhere. Don't you? So, oh look, that guy, oh yeah. I mean, you see what you're looking for. But, but I know people who everything they see is negative. I mean, they can find a gray lining in every silver cloud. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when you see them coming, it's like pull a pin, fire in a hole. I mean, you just know it's, nothing good's going to happen here, right? I mean, I know those folks. I mean, I got, a note, I got a note a few weeks ago. We baptized like seven people that day, had like 40 people join the church. I got a note that afternoon that said, I cannot believe the guy who sat next to me wore shorts. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm, I, I'm so glad I didn't respond with my first response. You know, I mean, it's just because that's never a good thing, right? Just, you know, erase, start over again, dear sir. Anyway, we see what we're looking for. I mean, it's just, it's kind of the way life works, isn't it? I mean, it just, it it happens, and we know that's the case. Today, we're continuing our series called Risk, and we're going to take the risk of what we might see if we really look for the right thing. Because let's face it, it's, it's risky to look for the right thing. It's risky to look for the thing that might change your life forever. It's risky to look for the one thing that might bring you joy or happiness when you're enjoying your misery a little too much. And in Luke chapter 24, we find a story about a lot of folks who look but don't see. Now, it's interesting to me. I mean, we, we find a lot of things to find wrong with this world. I mean, we, we, we don't see Jesus. We're, there's a story here in Luke 24 that tells a story of two people on their way to a little town called Emmaus, about a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem, and it happens right after the, the, the Easter weekend. And so it's happened right after Jesus' mock trial, right after his crucifixion, after his burial, and after his resurrection, okay? And this dude by the name of Cleopas, And his wife they're headed on the road to Emmaus okay now you got the picture about a seven mile hike and they're on the road and they're on their way and and all of a sudden we realize Luke doesn't completely explain why these two people don't recognize Jesus because he comes along beside them and joins them on the walk all right you you got it you got the picture two people they leave Jerusalem all of the hubbub of the city everything that's gone on that week Mock trial, you know, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, bury Jesus, Jesus raises from the dead, they're walking to Emmaus and they're talking among themselves. While they're talking among themselves, Jesus enters into the walk and now he's in the middle of the talk. All right, And Luke doesn't really explain all of the situation behind this. What we do know is God, for some, for some reason, doesn't allow them to see Jesus for who he is, but also I don't believe they attempt real hard to see Jesus for who he is. And maybe on the road to Emmaus, they didn't see Jesus the same way you and I often don't see Jesus on the road to Buford or on the road to Atlanta or on the road to Coming. Maybe, maybe they didn't see Jesus any more than we did on the way uh, to, to, our, to, to our work. Maybe they didn't see Jesus on the way to AT&T. They didn't see Jesus on, on the way to the car dealership. They didn't see the way on the way to the office. But, but there they were, and they don't recognize him. I wonder if maybe they might have been too busy. Look over in uh, chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. It says, now behold, two of them, Now, two of them, meaning two disciples, two followers of Jesus, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, to help you understand the same day part, look back up in verse 12. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So on the same day, what had happened? Jesus had risen from the dead, and they're leaving Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus. You got the picture? Verse 14 says, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So they're talking about everything that had happened that weekend, all right? So we know it's Easter day on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has risen. They're talking about everything of which they know, all right? And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened here in these days? I mean, can you imagine? Jesus walks up among them with nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet, And he's walking among them along the way to to Emmaus. And they say, dude, do you not, didn't you get it? Didn't you hear it? All of Jerusalem is a buzz about this. You must be the only guy that doesn't have a clue. Listen, they were so busy yakking that they didn't stop to recognize who had joined the conversation. They were so busy talking about what was going on around them, they didn't see what was happening in them. Now, these two folks were in a hurry. I mean, they were too busy to see Jesus. I grew up in a home where busyness was was rewarded. I grew up in a home where my dad, his idea of the perfect Thanksgiving morning wasn't to celebrate and rest and watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. My dad's idea of a great Thanksgiving morning was cleaning out the garage and power washing something. I mean, I, I grew up with this belief that when somebody asks you how you're doing, what you're supposed to say, oh, I'm busy, I'm worn out, I'm exhausted, I've worked harder than you, I get the badge for working hardest, longest, I'm, I'm, oh. And you know, when you wear that too busy badge, the next badge you get is the martyr badge. Oh, well, you, you had my life, oh, boy. I mean, don't you know folks like that? I mean, no matter what you say, they're going to they're say they outwork you, they're outtired you, they're going to out-humble you, I mean, whatever it is, they They win. You know, it's like, I surrender all. You, you're, you're right, you, you worked harder than me. They were so busy, they were too busy. Too busy to know Jesus was walking right there with them. By the way, it sounds a little bit like some of us. It sounds a lot like some of us. I, I got to stop and take a break. It sounds a lot like how I've treated most of my life. I mean, it's interesting to me. My, my life radically changed when I was nine years old and I gave my life to Christ, but my life really changed radically changed when I realized that busyness didn't equal godliness, that being able to claim that I had done a lot didn't count for diddly in the kingdom because I was too busy to recognize and enjoy the presence of God. You know, uh, the staff is scared to death when I come back from vacation. It's like, oh, dear God, he's come up with 18 things. we got to change. we got to move around. Oh, nothing. We're starting over again. You know, the good news is I came back with this one gracious, wonderful thought for our church. Could we just settle down and enjoy the goodness of God? Could we just enjoy the presence and the power of Jesus as he walks along the road to Emmaus with us? Could we just enjoy Jesus and his power and his presence as we walk on the road to Sugar Hill? Sometimes we're just too busy, and some of us wear it like a badge of honor instead of a walk of shame. Maybe they were too busy. Well, you know, maybe maybe they weren't looking for Jesus. Maybe they they just weren't looking for him. Maybe maybe they hadn't made the connection between Jesus' promise in Jerusalem with Jesus' presence on the road to Emmaus. Maybe they just didn't connect the dots. I mean, Jesus promised he would rise from the dead on the third day. And doubt and lack of understanding made it impossible to recognize this man as Jesus. I run into people all the time who just try their best to reason intellectually with this concept of, how could Jesus do this for me? How could that have happened? If I can't understand it, then I can't believe it. You know, there's there's a reason why the scripture says God's ways are higher than ours. I mean, sometimes I think we all need to wear a T-shirt that says on the front, there's only one God, and on the back, and he's saying, I'm not him. I mean, really, I mean, isn't it just one of those reminders where you just get, you know, isn't it good that the world is in his hands, not ours? I mean, sometimes even though we don't get it, it's kind of like Bobby was talking about at the offering. I mean, sometimes we need to let go and just trust that he does understand it. Maybe these folks were too busy. Maybe they weren't looking for Jesus. I mean, do you see the irony in the text, though? I mean, verse 12, again, says, wait a minute, it was, it was Easter morning, all right? And then when I look over in verses 21 and 22, it says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. In other words, they're saying, oh, no we're in such a mess. He made these promises, but what what are we going to do? Here we are all alone walking to Emmaus. What are we going to do? And Jesus is listening to this thinking. I mean, can you imagine what he must think about our thoughts in our lives? Oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this day? Oh, it's hard. I mean, one of my favorite lines of our youngest daughter, Samantha, when she was little, I mean, this was her favorite line. When things didn't go her way, here's what she'd say. It's so hard to be the youngest. I look that up in the Greek lexicon. The Greek lexicon defines that as bull. <laughs> These folks were, they, they, look, at, look at verse 22. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I mean, it sounds like a typical church guy. Cleopas must have been a typical church guy. Oh, it's those women again. I mean, thank God for y'all. I mean, 90% of what happens around this church, it happens because of women. Thank the Lord for you. I mean, once again, they had it right. We were late to the party. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they weren't looking for Jesus. I mean, the witness of Jesus' resurrection is overwhelming. The evidence of Jesus' returning to life is escalating. These folks did not see Jesus on the road that day, maybe because they just weren't looking for him. Maybe they were too busy. I, I find it amazing that we have the remarkable ability to blame God for everything in our life. Haven't you found that to be amazing? well, I'm just mad at God. I mean, that's kind of our, that's our throw down. That's, that's the final card, right? Mad at God. Boom. Wow. We have a tendency to put on our blindfolds and go through our days as if Jesus doesn't even cross the paths of our lives, and yet there he is walking with us on the road to Emmaus, walking with us on the road to Swanee. We have this distorted way of blaming God for everything bad that happens in our lives. Maybe not recognizing him for the good things, but we also, we're, we're distracted from seeing Jesus. I mean, we're just distracted from it. These two walking along the road were as low as they could be. I mean, they were scurrying along this dusty road, and they're not happy. As a matter of fact, the New English Bible describes them as being people full of gloom. I mean, it was two eors walking to Emmaus. Oh, no. I mean, we've all got them, don't we? I mean, we, we all know them. You can't do that. But I mean, we, we, we have, here's what I've learned. We all have spheres of influence. We all have them, all right? You, some of you have big spheres of influence. Some of you have small spheres of influence. We all have spheres of influence, right? But we, in, in, we influence people with three things. We influence people with what we say. We influence people with what we do. And maybe most importantly, we influence people with our attitude. I mean, for some of you, when you're having a bad day, we're all having a bad day. Don't, don't, you, I mean, don't you know, I mean, didn't you get a picture of somebody? And then you're with somebody who's happy? Just everybody needs to be happy. I mean, my daughter Amelia is sitting over here. When she was younger, she would call. If I didn't answer immediately, then you know, I, was, I was busy. But if she called two times in a row, then I knew to pick up, right? I'd be in the middle, busy with something, and, and here's what I'd hear Amelia say, hey, daddy. Milch, what's up, babe? Daddy, you don't sound happy. (laughs) I'm like, I got more, 400 things going. What do you need, baby? I need you to be happy, Daddy. (laughs) What? And just think, she's about to give me another grandchild. (laughs) If, If you've ever been depressed or have tried to help somebody who was, you know that these folks have an amazing ability to resist comfort. I know folks that no matter how bad you try to help them, they just they love misery. They just love to wallow in it. I mean, you get to pick your attitude every day. I mean, you you get to control that, right? I mean, these folks were wallowing in it. And can you can you imagine? I just I just see Jesus walking along, and Cleopas going, "Oh, we thought it was going to be great, but look what happened. Oh no!" And Jesus must have been thinking, "You could have had a V8." I mean, seriously, just how in the world? How'd they miss this? Sometimes so what happens is our attitudes literally shut out faith. Some of us build negative attitudes around us and attitudes of worry and attitudes of fret and attitudes of of negativity where we just we just wallow in it and we just we can't get out of it. We find something wrong with everything. And the attitude shuts out our faith. I mean, look at verses 25 and 26. Then then he, meaning Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus starts telling them all the way back to the Old Testament. He's saying, I was there and I am here. And you say, well, what's my takeaway? Well, it's pretty quick. Number one, maybe you're too busy for Jesus. And if you're too busy for Jesus, you're too busy. Maybe you're not looking for Jesus. Maybe you're looking for for something else, because whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. If you look for Jesus, he is faithful to find you. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're distracted from from a number of things. I mean, some of us are so distracted with our, with our cell phones that it becomes an appendage. We're so distracted from, from Instagram or from Twitter or from Facebook, we can't, we can't even have a life. I mean, let me just stop and say, if, if, if you've got more selfies than you have something positive about what God's doing, we might have a problem. If you're more concerned about how many people liked your Instagram pic, then how many people you've shared Jesus with, we might have a problem. You say, well, Chuck, you have definitely gone to meddling." now. Our attitude will shut out our faith. But I want you to see, some, some of us simply don't believe that Jesus will show up in our lives. I mean, this, this God stuff is great for the movies like The Son of God. I mean, it's, it's great for, you know, God's Not Dead. It's great for the movie, the, the miniseries on television, The Bible. But there's no way, Chuck, it works for me at my workplace. You have no idea how, how that is. But Jesus does. Well, Chuck, you have no idea how rough it is where I'm at. Well, yeah, but Jesus does. Well, Je- you don't understand, Chuck. There's no room for Jesus where I work. But there's plenty of room in your heart if you make it. There's plenty of room at your desk if you make it. There's plenty of room in your business. If you make it, you you pick. Because see, when we see Jesus, well, look what happens. Look over in verse 30 and 31. Now, it came to pass as he, speaking of Jesus, sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Listen to this. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? When we see Jesus, just like Cleopas, our hearts will burn for him. You know what I've noticed that when I'm around people whose hearts burn for Jesus, all of a sudden I can't wait to be around them more. I, I, I love it. It just, there's something around being around somebody who just loves Jesus. And it just it's so captivating. I want more of that. Every, t- every time I'm around Va- Valerie Williams down there, I think she just, just her, her heart burns for Jesus. Just, I love that. Every time I'm around Beverly, down at her shop, you know I think her heart burns for Jesus. I love that. I mean, don't you just love to be around people whose hearts just burn for the Lord Jesus? They're just on fire. They, they know there's something different about this world. They know there's something. Jesus walked along their road. All of a sudden, they were filled with a clear, common, compelling hope. Jesus broke the bread, and many, including I, believe at that instant they saw the nail-pierced hands. You can almost see as that happens the breaking of the bread, just like the feeding of the 5,000 or that Passover table. It had to have been this unbelievable gesture of self-revelation. Resurrection light had dawned. Truth must have pierced their heart. Hope must have abounded. The face of Jesus must have been recognized. That moment was burned into their minds and burned in their hearts for eternity. They had a burning in their soul. I mean, the word used for heart here refers to everything emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. Some of us, we just emotionally, we, just, we can't get past our past to get to Jesus to take care of our present and our future. Some of us intellectually, we just got to connect all the dots instead of trusting the the one who flung a million stars into a million galaxies. And some of us physically, we just can't lay down what's all around us and have this burning heart. Cleopas and Mary caught fire on the Emmaus Road that day, and we can catch fire in the most mundane of places. You see, by seeing Jesus for what he can do, the giver of life, the giver of light, Jesus is the one who can touch our hearts with fire, who can burn deep within us. But it's all kind of what you see. There was a guy from Colorado who moved to Kansas, and he built a house with his big picture frame window. And he wrote home to his friends, and he said, "Well, it's beautiful here. The only problem is there's nothing to see." It just so happened, there was a guy about the same time from kansas that moved to colorado and he built a house with a large picture window overlooking the rockies and he wrote a home to his friends in kansas he said you know the only problem is i can't say anything the mountains are in my way i mean you get it you kind of you see what you're looking for jesus is right here right now Remember the story from your history class, or or, or maybe, maybe you should. The story of the Battle of Waterloo, the Allied troops under General Wellington fought Napoleon in 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo, and news was transmitted across the English Channel via lights, and at the end of the battle, the words were spelled out, Wellington defeated. And about that time, a fog had fallen over the Channel, and all of Britain had fallen apart with despair and misery. And they had been defeated, and it was awful. But if you remember your history, the fog lifted. And when the fog lifted, what they then saw was Wellington defeated Napoleon. And all of a sudden, the entire country rose up. And the wondrous and blessed thought, victory is ours. Some of us today, we need a burning in our soul we need to see Jesus defeated sin for me. Jesus defeated death for me. Jesus defeated Satan for me. Jesus defeated whatever's ahead of you for you. And he walked along your roadside, and he said, come on, let me tell you about all these things. Let me take you all the way back to the Old Testament and let me tell you how I was there all the way from the beginning of time through the end of eternity. I am here for you. Walk with me. Listen to me. And have a burning deep down in your soul.